All right. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, our attendance is up about 20% over last year since December. And so I realize that there are many of you who are kind of new to Eagle Brook Church, and I wish I could meet every one of you and talk to every one of you, but just know that we are thrilled to have you here. Every single human being matters to God. You are not just a statistic or a number. You are a human being with a soul. And so you matter to God. You matter to us. I want to welcome those of you at all of our campuses today. And not just at our campuses, but also those of you watching online as well. We are in the fourth week of a series called The New You. We've been looking at Romans chapters 6 through 8. And this week we've come to Romans chapter 8. And Romans 8 is considered to be, by some, the best chapter in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or knew that people talked about this, but some people consider Romans 8 to be the very best chapter in the Bible. In fact, according to prominent New Testament scholar Douglas Moo, which is an unfortunate last name for anyone, Moo, Douglas Moo says that Romans 8 is the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of the Christian faith. Now you can tell he's a scholar talking like that. But what he really means is, it's the best of the best. And I would agree with him. If I were stuck on a deserted island and you said you can have one chapter of the Bible, I would choose Romans chapter 8. So here's my question for you. Have you ever read Romans 8 before? And if not, why not go home today and read this chapter? And not just read it, but think about it and let God speak to you into your life. If you're the kind of person who regularly reads the Bible, what if you made it a goal to memorize Romans 8 this next year? That wouldn't be a waste of your time. This one chapter will help you deal with suffering. It will lead you to salvation. It will give you the assurance of eternal life. My hope is that our whole church will be reading through this chapter this week. Today we're going to look at Romans 8 verse 1. So we're just going to look at one verse But I believe that this verse has the power to set you free from the daily burdens that we all carry. Several months ago, our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, told a story about riding in my car. I don't know if you remember this or not, but we were headed to a staff meeting together. And you know how you have bad hair days sometimes? You got one hair that's sticking down, you want to get it up. You've got another hair that's sticking up and you wish it could go down. You're just having a bad hair day. Well, I was having a bad car day. And those are legit. You can have a bad car day from every now and then. One of my kids had left a bowl of oatmeal in the back seat, and one of them had some chocolate on their hands, and so they had smeared it underneath the window on the door. Then just that morning, I had spilled a protein shake all over the center council. I was having a bad car day. Now, my plan was to clean all this up before I let another person ride in my car. But as we were walking out of the office, I said to Bob, I said, hey, Let me give you a ride over to staff meeting. And what did my kind gesture get me? Public shame and humiliation. Let me read to you the exact quote that Bob shared in his message about his experience of riding in my car. He says this, I quote, I sat down in the front seat of his car and it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. There was chocolate sauce smeared all over the doors ketchup and mustard stains all over the seats. Layers of crud was built up everywhere. A peach pit and french fries that had been there for five years. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but something smelled. For about a month afterwards, people would come up to me and they would go, can I see your car? 
which was great because they just really wanted to know, was it really that bad? And maybe it was, but here's the deal. My wife's car was worse. (laughs) She has the kids more than I do, and so it, it was so bad. In fact, my wife drives another family to and from school a couple days of the week to carpool, to, and this other family has a sixth grade boy who is pretty quiet, and he would get into our car and he would just go like this. He would wipe off the seat before he would sit down. Wouldn't even say a word, would just always get into our car, wipe off the seat before he took a seat, and this was a sixth grade boy who was doing this. Then another day, my wife was driving a four-year-old home from our other son's preschool, and the moment this four-year-old got in the car, he goes, you need to clean your car. (laughs) No filter at all, just came right out and said it. The sad part was Sarah had just vacuumed the car the day before. (laughs) And so finally we decided, you know what, enough is enough. We have got to take this car in and get it deep cleaned. We dropped it off at 10 o'clock in the morning. The guy said to me, he said, I'll have it done by noon, one or two o'clock at the latest. I said, what time do you guys close? He said, six o'clock. At 6.30, they were still working on our car. (laughs) Store had been closed for a half hour, and the van still wasn't clean yet. And so when Sarah went to pick it up, she was very apologetic and rather sheepishly said, you know, I bet that's one of the worst cars you've ever had, right? He said, top three. I was paying him money. I thought maybe he would say like, oh no, it wasn't so bad. I mean, he could have just kept that to himself. No, he's top three. (laughs) And then he charged us a $20 extra dirty fee. I said, does everybody get a $20 extra dirty fee? He says, no, it's quite rare for that to happen. (laughs) But here's the deal. That car today is clean. So clean, in fact, that you would never know it had once been dirty unless I told you. Wouldn't it be something if our lives could be like that car? Wouldn't it be something if you could take all of the sin and the shame and the failure from your past and you could get it so clean, so clean that no one would even know that you had once been dirty unless you told them. All of the failures that you've shoved down in between the seats, all of the regrets that you've swept underneath the floor mat, all the stains of sin that hang over your life to this day, if all of it could be wiped clean. When my wife Sarah was growing up, her family, there was a divorce, there was abuse, there was addictions, there was a failed suicide attempt. And then she went off to Bethel University And it was a Christian college. And so one of her roommates had parents who ran a successful Christian radio program. They were known as America's Family Coaches. And they had written a book called Divorce Proofing Your Marriage. And Sarah thought, you know, half my family's been through a divorce. And nobody ever made her feel this way. Nobody ever said anything. It was certainly self-imposed. But she started to feel a a little embarrassed at times a little bit inferior, she would walk through campus and she would think, you know, if only people knew, if only they could see my family or my past, they might look at me differently. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe there's something in your life right now from your past that causes you a deep sense of shame and embarrassment. Could be a divorce. Could be your parents or a childhood situation growing up. It could be the financial situation that you're in. 
Or maybe for you, there's a hidden sin that you've been trying to keep from other people. Let me ask you, might there be something in your life that you are ashamed of or embarrassed of these days? Might there be something that you just wish that could be wiped clean? You could compare yourself to other people. I mean, that's what I did with my wife's car. I felt a little bit better about my car because I said, you know what, hers is way worse. And you could do that with other people. You, you could say, you know, I've got some issues in my life, but that person over there, they're really messed up. And you might feel better for a short period of time. But you would wake up in the morning with the same sense of shame that you went to bed with. There would be no difference. Which brings us to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This was a verse that changed my own life in college. It helped my wife define herself not by her past, but by who she is as a woman in Christ. And I believe that if you apply this verse to your life today, it can set you free from the past shame and embarrassment that you carry as well. Before we look at Romans chapter 8, I want to set the context for you a little bit. And I want to look at the end of Romans 7. If you were here last week, you heard us read these words, but look at what Paul writes. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, he says, I do the very thing that I hate. Isn't that something? Here's a guy, Paul, who wrote more books of the New Testament than anyone, and he's going, you know what, there are times when I do things that I just don't want to do. That reassured me. It's reassuring to me to know that one of the godliest men who's ever lived from time to time would do things that he wished that he didn't do. But here's my question for you. What happens when you start to do the very thing that you hate? You start to hate yourself, don't you? You wake up in the morning hungover after a night of doing the very thing that you hate and you look at yourself in the mirror through those bloodshot eyes and what do you say? I hate you. I hate you. Or you lose your temper and you say things that you never wanted to say or you overate. You did the very thing that you hate and that's when the self-talk starts. And you say, I'm a failure. And you say, God, I'm sorry I'm such a disappointment to you. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm stupid. I can't do anything right. That's what we think. And when you think that way, how do you feel? Well, there's one word to describe it, and the word is shame. Here's a definition of shame for you. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something that you did or was done to you. That's different than guilt, by the way. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Big difference between those two. In fact, there's nothing wrong with guilt. Guilt, you should feel guilty when you sin against God, but here's what guilt does. Guilt, in its healthy form, causes you to push away your sin and draw close to God. Shame is different. Shame causes you to push God away and to think, you know what, I blew it and there's no hope for me. Maybe the best word to describe all of this is condemnation. Condemnation is eternal separation from God. It's punishment from God. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But condemnation is also, even though you've confessed your sins, even though you've asked God to forgive you, you still feel a sense of shame. 
Notice I said, even though you've asked God to forgive you. That's important. Conviction is when you feel a sense of guilt over unconfessed sins. That's holy and that's healthy. Condemnation is when you feel a sense of shame over confessed sins. That even though you've asked Jesus to forgive you, you still don't feel forgiven. And that's a lie. And that brings us to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to feel the power of these words today. I believe God wants to speak this into some of your lives. Paul writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, you are not defined by what you did wrong. You are defined by what Jesus Christ did right. That's different than any other world religion, by the way. Every other world religion says, hey, if you want to get God's approval, well, then you need to do something. You need to go on a pilgrimage. You need to observe some holy days. You need to do some religious rituals. Christianity says it's been done. On the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is finished. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sins and for mine so that we do not have to live in shame and condemnation any longer. That's why I said you're not defined by your past and what you did wrong, but you are defined by what Jesus Christ did right. And friends, if you would believe that today, you would walk out of church free. Free from your past, free from shame, free from condemnation. In fact, in this verse, I see three truths about God's forgiveness. The first truth is this. God's forgiveness is immediate. Look at the verse again. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The word that has always seemed out of place to me in this verse is the word now. Why did Paul feel the need to include that? I mean, why not just say, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus? That seems less clunky. It seems more grammatically correct even to me. So why does he include the word now? I think it's because he wants to emphasize something to us. He wants to convey something to us. He wants us to know this is happening now. God's forgiveness is immediate. When I was in high school, I used to lie a lot. I drank even though I was underage. I used to steal CDs from Best Buy and I would frequently disobey my parents. In fact, recently I was looking at an old journal that I had written while I was in high school. And I had made this journal entry one time. I said this, before Christmas, I went shopping with mom at Southdale. Mom wouldn't let me buy the Snoop Doggy Dog tape. Some of you are like, tapes? Yep, tapes. But I snuck up and bought it anyway when she wasn't looking. It was worth it. It's a great tape. Now that was me before Christ. These days, I'm more likely to take my kids to see Snoopy and buy them a hot doggy dog than I am to listen to anything that the Snoop to the D-O-double-G is putting out these days. But I remember when I first became a Christian, and some of you might remember this for those of you that are believers, but I could just feel the weight of my sin. I knew I was angry, I knew I was lustful, and even more importantly, I knew for 18 years I had ignored God in my life. 
until one night on a dorm room couch at St. John's University, I got down on my knees. And I don't remember what I prayed in that moment, but I remember that for the first time I acknowledged that I was a sinner. See, I'd never thought that before. I had always kind of thought I'm a good person compared to other people. And this was the first time that I took responsibility in my life and I said, I am a sinner who needs a savior. And I prayed this very simple prayer. It was, God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty for my sins and that three days later he rose again. And when I went down on my knees to pray that prayer, I was a broken person. And when I got up, I was a new man in Christ. Now, does that mean that I never sin these days? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, if my two oldest sons are playing in a basketball tournament, my number of sins will double or quadruple in that moment. I just can't control myself. So it doesn't mean that I don't ever sin, but what it does mean is that God's forgiveness was immediate in my life. Here's what I want you to hear today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Your forgiveness is now. Your freedom is now. Your new life, it begins, it can begin right now. God wants to do something in your life and he wants to do it right now. Don't carry the weight of your sin and your shame with you any longer. Turn from your sin, acknowledge your sin, put your faith in Christ and know that his forgiveness will be immediate. Here's the second truth about God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is complete. Look at the verse again. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He says what? He says, no condemnation. Not even just a little bit. No. None. Zero. Zilch. Here's what no means. It means that God's forgiveness is complete. But see, here's what some of us do. We put our faith in Christ and we immediately can feel the weight of our sin coming off. We feel God's forgiveness for each sin in our life and it's just like a weight has been taken off of our shoulders. But then we get to that last sin. And we think, oh, that was so awful. That was so egregious that there's no way that God could ever forgive me for that one. And so we think, you know, that's just got to go back in the backpack. And I'm going to have to carry that one with me for the rest of my life. And so we do. And this is what some of you have done. There is that one sin in your past. There is that one thing from years ago even. That you think there's no way that God could forgive me for that. Could be the affair could be the abortion, could be a divorce. Maybe it's the time you hit that person, the time you blacked out. Maybe it's something that's so bad, I couldn't even say it out loud in church. That's how bad it is. And you think to yourself, you know what? I am just gonna have to feel the weight of that. I'm gonna have to carry that for the rest of my life. Here's what I want you to hear today. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross. He did not endure public shame and humiliation. He did not have flesh ripped away from his body. He was not beaten and lashed 
so that you could carry one sin with you for the rest of your life. His forgiveness is complete. In fact, God's forgiveness is greater than your greatest sin. Our greatest sin is like a drop. It's like a drip in the ocean of God's grace. Our God is bigger than your biggest sin, than my biggest sin. And so here's what some of us need to do today. You need to take the backpack off and you need to open it up once again before God. And you need to declare out loud, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that we get to sin and just do whatever we want and then we can just say to God, well, hey, forgive me for that? Because people do that, right? I mean, they live their whole week and they don't think about God. They don't make an effort to obey God. And then they get to church on the weekend and they go, oh yeah, sorry about that. Throw up a couple Hail Marys, throw up a couple prayers, whatever it might be. But we just say, oh yeah, sorry about that, God. I would argue that if that's your posture towards God, that you don't really love God. You might love the concept of God. You might love the idea of heaven and a life after death. You might love this church and you may have loved a few sermons that you've heard, but you don't really love God. Or at the very least, you don't understand God's love for you. Because I'll tell you what, never once in my life have I thought, you know, my wife Sarah... She's so loyal, and she's just super forgiving. I'll bet you I could have an affair, and she would forgive me for that. Never thought that. It's a ridiculous thing to think about a person that you love. And so this doesn't mean that we take sin lightly. It doesn't mean we don't make an effort to obey God in our life. But it does mean that his forgiveness for you is complete. Third truth about God's forgiveness is this. God's forgiveness is conditional. Again, let's look at the verse. Therefore, there is now, so it's immediate, no condemnation, so it's complete. But then he says this, for who? For everybody? Every human being on planet Earth? No, it doesn't say that. For every single American who's doing their best to be a good person and live a good life? No, he, he doesn't say that either. He says, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, do you belong to Christ Jesus? Do you know if you belong to Christ Jesus or not? You see, the truth is, every single one of us, we deserve condemnation. We deserve punishment and separation from God. We have ignored our creator. We have done things that our maker has asked us not to do. And so we deserve the punishment, the penalty, which is why the only way to be saved is through faith in Christ. Let me try to illustrate this for you in a way that hopefully makes sense. When I'm wearing these glasses, everything looks blue to me. You all look like a bunch of Smurfs right now, as far as I'm concerned. In fact, as I looked at these glasses in the back, I thought, you know, I look a little like Bono, don't I? Maybe just a little bit? I don't know, I might hang on to these glasses, they're pretty cool. But here's the thing, if one of you says to me, you know what, look at that guy over there in the red shirt. I would go, well, it doesn't look red to me because everything looks blue. In the same way, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God no longer sees your unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. 
In other words, his right standing with God the Father, covering your unrighteousness. He doesn't see your sin. He sees the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sin. Theologians call this the imputed righteousness of Christ. Imputed meaning it was given to you. You didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it, but it was credited to your account. So that when God looks at your life now, he sees it through the lens of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Here's what this means. It means that if you're a person who belongs to Christ, the next time you have a thought like, well, I'm not good enough. And I don't do enough, God. You know, I, I'm just not doing enough for you to be pleased with my life. And, and God, I'm sorry I'm such a failure and such a disappointment to you. You need to quote this verse out loud. You need to say, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And you need to say, that's me. I belong to Christ Jesus, and so there is no condemnation for me. And I do not need to carry the weight of my sin and the shame any longer. You need to memorize this verse and use it in your life. For those of you that don't belong to Christ or who aren't sure if you belong to Christ, I need to very lovingly tell you that there is condemnation. There is eternal separation and punishment for our sins. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus has a team and anyone can join the team. Tell me if you recognize this person on the plasma here. Take a look and see if maybe you recognize this person. This is Glenn Gronkowski. He is a member of the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. Do not confuse him with his brother, Rob Gronkowski. Rob is the star tight end for the Patriots. This is his brother, Glenn. And Glenn is a fullback who was on the Patriots practice squad. See, every team gets 10 players that they put on their practice squad. And if you're on the practice squad, you don't get to play in the games. You just get to practice with the team. But even though you can't play in the games, you are still considered a full member of the team. In fact, when the Patriots won the Super Bowl this past year, Glenn Gronkowski received a bonus check of $107,000. Add to that the $76,000 bonus check that he received for the Patriots winning two playoff games, and that's $183,000 in bonuses. That's above and beyond his regular salary. Not only did he receive $183,000 in bonuses, but he also received a ring that looks like this one right here. A Super Bowl ring. What did Glenn Gronkowski do to gain all of these riches in his life? Well, he never played in the Super Bowl. He didn't play in either of the two playoff games. He didn't complete one pass, make one tackle. He didn't kick a field goal or a punt. He didn't even make a block that opened up a hole for one of his teammates. Just for fun, go ahead and raise your hand if you did not play in the Super Bowl this past year. Go ahead and raise your hand. I did not play in the Super Bowl this past year. Keep your hands up in the air if you didn't complete one pass or make one tackle in the Super Bowl this past year. If Glenn Gronkowski was in church right now, he'd have his hand up in the air. 
and yet he made $183,000 and won a Super Bowl ring while you were sitting at home eating chips and guacamole. And how did he gain all these riches? How did he get access to all these benefits? Well, he was on the team. He didn't earn it. It was positional. He was on the team. Friends, Jesus Christ has a team. And that may sound exclusive to some of you, but here's the deal. Anyone can join the team. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your church background. It doesn't matter how much or how little you sinned when you were in high school or college. Anyone can join the team. And Jesus Christ has won a great victory for his team. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He won the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls. And you can have access to all the riches and the benefits that come with that. But you have to belong to the team. In fact, there are two ways that a person can be saved. The first one is never screw up. Like, never. Never miss a morning devotion or a weekend at church. Never miss an opportunity to encourage, give, or serve. Never lust, never gossip, never envy. Don't sin in your anger or be judgmental towards another person. Always love God fully with your heart, mind, and soul, and pray unceasingly for world peace. And if you are able to do all those things, then congratulations. Your perfection has staved off condemnation. But the problem is, the Bible says that's impossible. It says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Even when we were unfaithful to him, he has been faithful to us. Heard a story recently about a mom whose teenage son was in full rebellion. To start off, he was moody. Every time she would try to hug him, he would just push her away. And every time she would ask him, you know, how was your day at school? He would go, Mom, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about this right now. He was going out with his friends on Friday night, and his mom didn't know where he was going or what he was doing, but she kind of guessed that he was up to no good. Until one Friday night, her son came home drunk. And he stumbled up the hallway into his bedroom. He passed out in his bed. And his mom heard him come home. And so she got up and she walked down the hallway to his room. A few minutes later, her husband woke up and noticed that his wife wasn't in the bed anymore. And so he went down to see what was going on. And when he walked into their son's room, he saw his wife sitting on the edge of their son's bed, and she was gently stroking his hair. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, he won't let me love him during the day. And so I love him at night. Friends, there are some of us here who for years, you have said to God, just, just leave me alone. I don't want to talk about you. I don't want to think about you. I don't want to go to church or read the Bible or obey you. I just, I want to do this. I want to do what I want to do. Just, just leave me alone. And still, God loves you more than anyone. Even when you are unfaithful to him, he has been faithful to you. No matter how much you've run, no matter how much you've pushed him away and have said, God, just, just keep your distance. 
He has pursued you. What if today was your day to say, God, I want to belong to you. I want to know your love and experience your grace. I don't want to push you away anymore, God, but I want you to come into my life. There are some of us here today who, that's been you. That for years you've pushed God away and maybe not even pushed him away, but maybe it's just kind of arm's length. You know, I'll let you into parts of my life, God, but I don't want to let you into all of my life. And what if today you just said, God, I, I belong to you. It starts with that simple prayer that I prayed on the dorm room couch at St. John's University 19 years ago. God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty for my sins. And God, I receive him into my life right now through faith. There are others of you here today who maybe for years, maybe for decades, you have walked around with a backpack on. And there's that one sin that just weighs you down. And you carry that shame and that condemnation with you everywhere you go. What if today could be the day that you declare, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ and you could be set free from that. I absolutely believe that God can do that in your life. And so as we close and as we pray, I want to give some of you the opportunity for maybe the first time to say, Jesus Christ, I want to belong to you. I want to put my faith and my trust in you, and I want to start a relationship with you today. And I'm not going to ask you to run down the aisles or wave your hands in the air. This is between you and God. But this is your moment to stop pushing God away and say, God, I want you in my life. Let's pray together at all of our campuses. Jesus, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to you. God, there are some people at our church today who are watching online who they either don't belong to you or they're not sure if they belong to you. And God, right now, your forgiveness can be immediate in their life. It can be complete. And so they're just going to pray this prayer with me in the quietness of their own mind. Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. It's not about comparing myself to other people. God, I, I take responsibility right now. I have sinned against you and I need a savior. But God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty for my sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And so right now, God, I receive him by faith. I put my trust in Christ. And I ask that I could receive all of the riches, all of the benefits of that, that one day I too could rise from the dead and that I could be free from condemnation. God, I pray that right now. Lord, for others of us, there's something in our life that we've just carried with us and it's weighed us down. Lord, would you set them free? Would you let them know that there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ and that they would walk out of church today and the burden would be gone? God, we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
hey, real quick, before you go, just one moment, if you prayed that prayer with me and you put your life and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you gotta tell someone about this. We don't want you just to pray a prayer and then go on and live your life. We wanna get you started in a relationship with God. Text the word BELIEVE to 555-888 or stop off at the Next Steps area in your lobby. They can answer any questions for you. All they wanna do is give you a free Bible and some free resources that will get you started in the right way. Have a great weekend, everybody.